0: If you've got a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 1. If you've got a digital Bible, that will be easy to find. And if you've got a paper Bible, it'll be easy to find. The first book in the Bible, Genesis 1. We're looking at the idea of of identity the next few weeks. And I know it's something that we're all interested in. It's something we all think about. It's something we all wrestle over. Uh, And so I want to... Go back to the very beginning, and I want to read you uh, just a few verses on the gain and then the loss of who we were becoming who we are. So let me read to us in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his image, the image of God. He created him male and female. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every creeping thing that moves on the earth. Then you skip one chapter, and you get to Genesis chapter 3. And if you have a title, a a heading in your Bible over chapters, you'll see it says, The Fall. Satan comes, and he says to the woman, Did God actually say, I'm in the middle of verse 1, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we can eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely won't die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let me pray for us. Father, as we look at this idea of identity and who we are, Lord, we know at the core of each of us, we really want to be fully known and fully loved. And Lord, you gave us an identity, and then we blew it. We lost it. And so, Father, help us tonight to see how you have worked a plan to reclaim that identity. Father, give us peace as we journey on this path to coming back to you. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. So in in Genesis 1, 26 through 28 that we just read here of 29 actually that a few things happen one you see the 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 one god in the plural you see god say here let us make man in our image and when you read the creation account which is not we're not studying the full aspect of Genesis 1 here which by the way is layers upon layers it's just a fascinating study But in Genesis 1, what we see is we see God the Father, God the Son, but we see the Holy Spirit all at work here. And the culmination of the creative act is when God makes you and me, when He makes Adam and Eve. And we see God bring life all along. But here something special happens. And you gotta ask: what's the difference in humans and the rest of creation? Um, Daisy and Gatsby, and I'm not talking about the great Gatsby, although they are named after the great Gatsby. Those are our Boston Terriers. We love Daisy and Gatsby. They're sweet. Gatsby is infatuated with Daisy and Daisy tolerates Gatsby. It's very similar to the book. And so these, these little Boston Terriers, they, you know, when you buy a dog, you buy a heartache, you know you're going to outlive that animal. I mean, unless something tragic happens to you, you are buying something that's going to break your heart. And so we had lost a Boston Terrier. His name was Samson, and Samson was amazing. And so when Samson died, I was like, I'll never love again. And I'll never own a dog again. And those two are the same. Like, I was, like, really torn up, like, really torn up when we lost Samson. And then two years later, here comes Daisy. And I remember Daisy, this sweet little girl, Boston, she, she's, like, walking around the house. And I was, like, I will never love you. And then she, like, was kind of clawing to, like, come up in my lap. And she came up in my lap. And then with her little puppy tongue, she, like, licked my cheek. And I was, like, blast you, Blast you. Now I love you. And so, like, but for the first two months, I was, like, really distanced from this dog. I was like, I don't want to love another dog. They just break your heart. And now, like, we just, I love Daisy, and I love Gatsby, and they're wonderful. And you know what? They are alive. They are a creative work of the Lord. They've got, I think, now we can... The, the, the word like soul and spirit, they mean different things to different people. Bible scholars debate them. But when God breathes his life into something, it has something deep in it. These dogs have that thing that's deep in them. But the dog is not a human. God did something different when he made us. He made something totally different, and we have to ask, like, what is it? What, what, what was it he did with us that he didn't do with any other creation? And if you look, we did a, a series on work about a year ago last spring, and we talked about a couple of these words. But if you look, he says in verse 26 here, or 28, he says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. So God gave humans two roles he didn't give anything else. The two roles are kabash and radah. He gave us kabash and he gave us radah. He gave us subduing and he gave us dominion. The Lord put us as the caretakers over everything else he made. This past weekend, when I did a bunch of yard work while you were playing volleyball, um, and, uh, and some of you, you know, you were, you were at the park and you're playing volleyball. Meanwhile, I was like, trying not to burn down a large section of woods with a fire that I built from a bunch of trees. Uh, but like I was doing yard work, and you know what? I was kiboshing. I had, I, had, I had to subdue things in the yard to get ready for spring. And every time I do something like that, some yard work around there, I feel very, like, uh, I feel very much like Adam. I'm like, yeah, I am subduing the earth. I have dominion over you. No tree cares that I say that to it. But it is like a very biblical Genesis kind of thing. Like as a man or as a woman, we have this this responsibility to like shepherd and care for all that God has given us. And the beauty of Genesis 1 is they had Kabash and radah. They had these two things in perfect harmony with God. Adam and Eve knew who they were. They never once had to wonder, like, who am I in the famous Zoolander line when he's staring in the puddle? If you've seen Zoolander, if not, you don't need to watch it. But um, but I can quote most of it. So anyway, Derek Zoolander is staring into this pond. He's a male model, I want you to know. And he's lost his male model title to uh, to another guy. Anyway, he's staring into a pond, and he says, who am I? Actually, it's just a puddle. And then a car drives through the puddle, and it splashes him. And, uh, and so the, he, we, he's never, like, Adam and Eve never... at least in the beginning, they never had to wonder who they were. Just like breathe that in for a minute. Can you imagine like in your teenage years just being so confident in who you are? Like, no, it kind of makes you a little jealous of them and it kind of makes you a little mad that they threw this away. But there was this period in time when they were in perfect step with the Lord doing exactly what God created them to do. What a sweet, sweet time. Although it was very short-lived, what a sweet time in the history of the world. But then chapter three happens. When it says in verse seven, the eyes of both were opened. They, they now knew good, evil, right, wrong, all these kinds of things, they, they all of a sudden, look at verse, I think this is just fascinating, and I just, I, I hadn't paid much attention to this in a long time, but as I was looking at this passage for tonight, it just once again shows up, and they heard, this is verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Do you see what's in the text there? Fear, worry, and anxiety enter the world. In Genesis chapter 3, they are afraid of God. They are anxious about their current status as people. They're they're worried. What's going to happen to us? as soon as they stepped outside of the realm of the way God designed them, all kinds of identity crisis enter into the world. And so the way we gained our identity was God made us and we were in perfect harmony with him. And the way we lost our identity was as soon as we ate from that tree. Now, do you know, uh, this has uh, just been an interesting study. This, this winter um, I've been doing, uh, the, the Bible project has like this, it's basically a seminary degree, this super long deal that you can kind of track along with, and I've been trying to track along with it. And, uh, and they go through this whole, the whole creation account. Do you know, one of the things about the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, uh, of good and evil what, what happened when they ate that, the reason why they ate that? And I think this is a really, really good thought on why they wanted to not just like know about good and evil. They wanted to make their own rules for what were good and evil. When you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now you get to decide what's right and wrong. That's what they thought they were getting to do. If we eat this, even though God said not to, now we will be able to choose what we want to do. And as soon as we start making the rules of what is right and what is wrong, we immediately step outside of the plan of God and we incur the judgment of God. And things like anxiety and worry and fear and a myriad of other things come crashing in on our identity, and we have an incredible worldwide identity crisis. And so. There's ways though that that we try today to reclaim our identity. There are things like, like the Enneagram which by the way, I don't mind the Enneagram. I'm a five. I've thought about it. And so if you know the Enneagram, you know that like, that's what I do as a five. I think about things. Um, Heather is a six. She is like, uh, she's like concerned about all the thinking. And, uh, and so some of you are sevens. You're like the party waiting to happen. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, but you would know if I was like, well, let's talk about Myers-Briggs. Are you an ENTP? What are you? And so you're like, now you're speaking my language. Some of you you are like the right path people some of you are culture index we've got all these different these different ways to say who am I and we we push them in companies we do all this stuff and here's the funny thing about those tests they don't help you find your identity they show you what you already know you're like oh yeah I knew I was good at those two things and bad at those three things That's what a a personality test doesn't help you find your identity. It just shows you what you're like gifted at and what you're not. We want more than that. We want to know like, but what's my point? What's my purpose? How do I fit in? Then, we have other ways. We 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 have. Uh, we have social media, we have YouTube. Everybody I know that has little kids, they have like a timer on how much YouTube the kids can watch. And the kids will go and they'll watch YouTube and they'll they'll get like their entertainment, but they'll also get told things about who they are. Counseling. Counseling is at an all-time high. During covid when counselors weren't, and I've got some friends who are counselors, when they weren't meeting with people face to face, their calendars were full of, of video conferences with people. Counseling is at an all time high because people are having major anxiety and major uh, identity crisis from one level to the next, to the next, to the next. Now, there is nothing, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with counseling. Counseling is great. And I think actually, some of what we're going to work through over the next few weeks, you may find, I need to go go-to counseling. But what I'm saying is, in and of itself, you are still have a very good chance of not knowing who you are. And so, I think if we have to ask, is it working? Because the question, the way we would answer, is it working, is the, the ultimate goal is we want to be fully known and fully loved. Who, who wouldn't want to be fully known and fully loved? Heather and I were talking the other day, because I... um. I didn't tell her about a thing, and, uh, and she found out about the thing. And so she, uh, she was like, were you keeping that from me? And uh, we were on our way. I was going to do premarital counseling, and she was meeting with, she was actually meeting with one of you. And so we're on our way to that thing, and I'm like, bum, 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 like, here we go. How fast can I drive to the thing? And so, like, we're driving to the same restaurant. We're going to go two different directions. And I was like, no, no, no. I was going to tell you about the thing. I just had kind of forgotten about the thing. And she was like, I'm really mad at you right now. And I was like, yeah, so... (laughs) So, here's, here's the deal. In that moment, I'm like, I really want her to fully know what is in my heart and what's in my mind. Because I really wasn't trying to keep this thing from her. But I wasn't sure, like, how we would talk about the thing. And, and like, at the end of the day, you know what she wanted? She also wanted to be, like, fully known and fully loved and feel fully secure in the moment. And so both of us want the exact same thing and we're two feet away from each other and there's like a major crisis going on in the car. Now we resolved it, everything's fine. And, uh, and the the thing was fine. And I'll just leave you wondering what it was. Um, and so anyway, it was not a sinful thing. I just wanted you to know. Uh, not like super sinful. No, I'm just kidding. It really wasn't. It, um, but it was just one of those things where, and we we got to talking and I was like, Heather, I want to tell you all the thoughts that I have, but, like, sometimes they're hard to get out, and sometimes I don't know the right way to say them. And, and like, we just, you know what I mean? Like, you just like, is it safe is really the question you're asking. Like, can you really be fully yourself, like, fully known and fully loved? All humans. And Heather and I have a really, really healthy marriage all humans wrestle over this idea of can I really, really, is there a place I can really be fully known and simultaneously fully loved? And in Genesis 1, they were fully known and they were fully loved and they knew it. You know, if 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 we are gonna ask like, the way we claim our identity today—is it full? Is it working? Because we want to be fully known and fully loved. I would say it's—it's it's not working. Um, fear and anxiety are at an all-time high. It started in Genesis 3, verse 8, and it has continued on. Things like imposter syndrome, things like girls freaking out because they're 29 and single, guys having, like, the big boy moves. Um, you know, there's, there's like, um, one guy called it fiscal porn, where you kind of worship how much money is in your bank account, how much you're making. Um, there's infidelity. There's an incredible fear of commitment. I want to do, like, a whole message on, on I just want to dig through the Bible and find, like, Why we don't need to be afraid of long-term things. Uh, Everybody's got like an out. Everybody, what's the resale value? Is there is there a prenup? Is there like how do we how do we make sure we can get out? That is all a product of sin. It's all fear-based. And so our claim, our 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 ideas to reclaim our identity, they're simply not working. Will Carlisle was telling me the other day, we were talking about this idea, and he said, Thomas, I went, to, I went to the Passion Conference. I went one night, and I was like, all right. He said, yeah, Sadie Robertson was gonna speak, and I was like, oh, dang, I'm gonna get Sadie. And uh, that's just letting you know, that's just me and Will talking. And then he was like, and then I was totally wrong. Let me tell you what she said. And I said, tell me, Will. And Sadie started the talk, and she said, identity is not looking to ourselves to find out who we are. Identity is looking to Christ to find out who he is. And then we will know who we are. And Will wasn't saying anything bad about Sadie. He was just like, maybe he was going to hear like Piper or one of these other guys. And he was like, oh, I don't know. Anyway, I won't belabor that anymore. I'll just get myself in trouble. Um, and so I probably already am. Uh, I'm familiar with trouble. Uh, and so uh, anyway, this, this what you see in Genesis 1 is they were looking to their creator and they found their identity. What you see in Genesis 3 is they were looking to themselves and each other and they lost their identity. What Sadie said is 100% true. I don't have it on the screen, so I'll just read it to you again. Identity is not looking to ourselves to find out who we are. Identity is looking to Christ to find out who he is, and then we'll know who we are. So then maybe we get to that place and we're like, I've been looking at myself so long trying to figure out who I am, and I've been looking at self-help things that just reflect back on me, and it's not working. I can't find my identity. So then maybe you start to go to this book, and you're like, well, I go to church and they tell me the answers are in the Bible. So I'll go to this book. And you ask, well, can the Bible show me my identity? And my answer to you would be maybe. My answer would be maybe because it depends on how you read this book. But it breaks my heart when so many Christians in Bible study live and talk and act and give, and receive advice that they, would, they might as well have just never picked up this book because it's not in here. It breaks my heart when Christians read their Bible, go to a biblical church, hear from the Bible, but their lives have no reflection that they're taking anything out of this book to find out who God has made them to be. You know, this is, this is rebuked in, uh, in, in the book of James. James talks about, he says, you tell me about your faith, I'll show you my faith by my actions. And he says, don't be one who's just a hearer of the word, be one who's a doer of the word. And then James, and I'm gonna paraphrase what he said. He says that Christians, quote unquote, who claim this book but live lives apart from it are no different than the devil himself. Now think about that. That's super strong. He says, you say you believe in God, good. So does the devil. When Christians come to a Bible-believing church and they hear the word and they're in a small group and they read this book, but they don't do anything with it. One, you just like pick up a hobby, like play pickleball or something. Like you're just kind of wasting your time. What's the point? But two, Aren't you driving yourself mad? It's heartbreaking. Proverbs 8.34. I was reading in the book of Proverbs just this morning. And, uh, and as I was reading in, in Proverbs 8.34, Proverbs 8.34 says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. There's something beautiful about this idea of the person who reads this book and sees words like that and says, maybe I'll find who I am if I listen to the Lord in his word. And I daily watch for the Lord's work out by his gates and I wait beside his doors. Verse 39, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But let me just go ahead and tell you, you can read this book and try to live it out wrongly. For instance, if your favorite verse that you claim, and I'm just going to throw some out, and I mean these as standalones, one good rule for the Bible is never read a single verse. Always read the verses before and the verses after. But if you're the kind of person who says, hey, Philippians 4.13 is my favorite verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If you're like, hey, Romans uh, 8.37, I am more than conquerors through him, uh, through him who loves me to redeem me. And God works all things to good, Romans 8.28. If these are like your favorite verses, if, uh, if Isaiah 40.31, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength and soar on wings like eagles. If those are your favorite verses, if those are the ones you claim when you're like going into that meeting, I would say you too are reading this book wrong. I would say you're still looking to you to find some sort of answer and fulfillment. I would go so far as to say, if those are your favorite verses, you probably have books with like numbers in front of the, in the titles, like five dysfunctions or seven habits or 12 rules, because you still are living a humanistic pseudo-spiritual journey and it's going to leave you disappointed with God and yourself. But there's good news. And the good news is that Jesus, he wants you to know who you are. Let me share with you another famous passage where Jesus kind of gives us some clues here. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the law and the prophet's. And so we read that verse, and we know it's true. I need to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind. I need to love my neighbor as myself. But any thinking person will get to that second command, and you'll see Jesus himself seems to advocate a type of self-care, where he says, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself. And so, and so we, we try hard to love ourselves, but we skip over the love of God. And some of you, some of you have been insulated in a really unhealthy way with this like weird blend of Christianity and, and bulldozer parents and helicopter parents and, uh, and, you know, nice thoughts from Netflix shows and those kinds of things. And you've got this weird blend of like Christianity and how the Bible says that God loves you and you're to love yourself and this really secular view. And they're woven together and you don't even realize they're woven together. And it creates this blanket that wraps you up that you call God. And the reality is, there's a little bit of God and a lot of other stuff, and Jesus plus anything is no longer Jesus. And what happens is, we wonder why we have a fear-based existence, or a self-righteous-based existence. And hopefully, part of the reason you're here tonight is you're just kind of at the end of all that. And you want to know, how do I get comfortable in who the Lord has made me? Paul David Tripp, a great great author, I really like reading his stuff. He wrote a poem. And the poem is on, I've searched for identity. And in the middle of the poem, Paul David Tripp says, there is no place. No person, no experience, no success, no possession, no skill, no level of knowledge that can impart the security of identity, the rest of meaning and purpose so that everyone desires. So I've quit looking out, and I've begun looking up. In you, I am loved, I am forgiven, I have eternal value, I have meaning, I have purpose, I have security and rest, I have understanding and moral direction, I have self-knowledge, I have peace of heart. You are in me and I am in you and this bond is enough. This bond is life and it cannot be broken. Brendan Manning, if you've never read Ragamuffin Gospel, I would encourage you to read the Ragamuffin Gospel. Brendan Manning is a guy who looked to himself many, many times to try to find security in his identity, to try to find meaning in, his, in himself and in this life and came up short again and again to the point of alcoholism and many other things. And Brendan Manning says that he was captured by God. He actually used the word ambush. He said, I was ambushed by God one night. They said, my life was never the same. And Brennan Manning, his, he had this whole, uh, this, a lot of his life was based on the philosophy of how do we have the right identity. Let me read you two of his quotes and they'll be up on the screen. The first one is, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion." Brendan also said, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Tara Lee Cobble, who wrote the Bible recap, said, God is where the joy is, not in self-discovery. You see, you can't have your identity and seek it at the same time. Turn with me right now to Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10 and also in Matthew 16, Jesus teaches the same thought in two different spots. In Matthew 10, starting in verse 34, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I haven't come to bring peace on earth, but I came to bring a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Look at verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And verse 38 and 39, two of the most famous things he ever said. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. About seven years ago, Heather was told about a Bible study called Behold Your God. The two of us ordered that Bible study. And uh and when we ordered the Bible study, uh, it was recommended by a friend who's on staff with crew. It showed up at the house and she did it and she did it before me and she said, Thomas, I think this is changing my life. And I was like, Maybe overstatement, and she's like, No, I think it is. And so I did it as well, and I was like, Why have you been holding back on me? Where have you and she's like, No, I invited you like weeks ago. And so we began to do the Bible study together, and it was just it was really overwhelming the journey that we were going on in our faith. And one of the biggest takeaways in the Bible study is wrapped up in verse 39 of Matthew 10. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's something fascinating and backwards about this. Jesus came because of Genesis 3. And he's trying to take us to a state that is Back in Genesis 1, when we walk hand in hand with the Lord, and we are living out His function and purpose for us in perfect step with Him. In Genesis 3, we look to ourselves to find identity and purpose and meaning, and we fail. In Genesis 1, they look to God. And in that Bible study, I learned something that I had not learned in all my hours of seminary or Bible study. And it was like an indictment on some of the things that I had studied and the books I'd read in the classes. And I was like, why did no one tell me this? They told me when you read this book, you don't look for you. You look for God. This isn't a book about you. This is a book about Him. And aren't we glad it's not a book about me? Because we see what happens when we look to ourselves for purpose and identity and hope. We fail over and over and over again. And we eat the fruit and we fall away from God. And our lives are consumed with major identity crisis. But something happens when I go from looking to me to looking to Him. I'll never forget being in, uh, in a hotel out in Yosemite, right on the edge of Yosemite in, in the year of our Lord, 2000. Uh, it was like a long time ago when some of you were just a thought, um, like you were, just, you were just wee lads. And, uh, and I was, meanwhile, uh, you know, 23-year-old Thomas was like deeply in love with Heather Watson. And I was just trying to figure out, should I marry this girl or not? And as I was sitting there, I was like, well, I need to stop thinking about Heather. And while no one had told me that idea that I need to read the Bible to find God, and in finding God, I would lose my life, but I would somehow find it, I began to read. And in the course of reading through the Old Testament, trying to learn about the Lord, it became clear that I ought to marry Heather. And that was a really good choice. I tell you that to say, it shocked me that day. I'm reading this Old Testament passage. I'm not trying not to think about Heather. I'm really not in the moment. And I was like, I think the Lord's talking to me about Heather. It's amazing how when we seek to find Him, we begin to find ourselves too. And that's exactly the story of Genesis 1. They looked to Him and walked in step and all was right with the world. They look to themselves, and all falls apart. I want to land the plane with a quote and two thoughts. The quote's going to be on the screen, and this is from C.S. Lewis. I would encourage you to take a picture of this and reread it later. The real, your real new self, which is Christ and yours also, and yours just because it is, He will not come as long as you are looking for it. or You will not, I'm sorry, your new self, your real self will not come because you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. The principle runs all through life, from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body. In the end, submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only, sorry, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. I think that is an incredible expounding thought. On Jesus said, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. Jesus bids us come and die. And when we come to him and we stop looking to ourselves... We come to the end of ourselves, the beginning of him. It's amazing what happens, but it's exactly what C.S. Lewis says. And with him, everything else thrown in. And so my two closing thoughts for you would be this, on where do we begin? Number one, I think tonight, again, this is the start of this series. We're going to get into some specifics as we go on. But number one, I would repent of running after myself, looking to myself, reading this Bible for myself. I would repent of running after myself and I would run to Christ. And the second is I would read this Bible different from this day forward. Tonight's the night. You throw out the old you that's like, what does the Bible say about this decision for me, for my life, for my purpose, for my existence? And you begin to look at it and say, what is the character of God? And may we be like the psalmist who longs to dwell in the presence of the Lord. It is better to be, may we say with him, it is better to be a gatekeeper a sweeper in heaven than the highest of highs in hell. Let us come to this book to find that God who loves us so much he sent his son who wants us to know why he put us here. He wants to give us peace when there is no reason or 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 hope for peace. He wants to give us love. He wants us to be fully known but to experience Genesis 1. You got to repent of Genesis 3. And to do that, you come to him and you die. And it's not just salvation. We're supposed to die every day as we pick up our cross and follow him. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much that Jesus was honest with us and told us if we really want to find our identity, if we really want to find our life, then we've got to lose it. And Lord, you want to bring us back to the garden. You want to bring us back in a step-by-step step right relationship with you. You want us, to have, you want us to, to have the life you've called us to have, the one you've put us on earth to have. Lord, you want to you see our existence fulfilled for your glory, but the only way that happens is when I stop looking to me and I start looking to you. So, Father, help me to repent of looking to myself and secular sources to find who I am, and help me to read this Bible to know you, because in knowing you, I'll find myself. Lift all this up in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.